In episode 8.4 of Unshuffled, we discuss the fourth Cavalera Conspiracy album. It's called Psychosis. Let's check it out. Listeners, welcome back to long-time listeners and welcome to first-time listeners. This is Unshuffled. And as we always say, it's been a while, but uh, that's part of the deal. We've got busy lives. Uh, Unshuffled, you know what we're about. Hopefully you know what we're about. Um, it's me and my co-host, Mr. Scotty D. How are you, Scott? Good, good. Good morning to you. Konnichiwa, everybody. Finally, I feel like I'm a morning radio show. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> well, it is, it is early there, right? I assume you know what we're, we're on about here, listeners. We're trying to bring back the album. We're doing it band by band, track by track. We pick a band, then we go through album by album and just have a little chat about it, work our way through the songs. And um, hopefully you know what we're on about by now, but if not, you'll soon work it out. Uh, and the album... Well, the band we're looking at is Cavalera Conspiracy, the uh, the famous Cavalera brothers reunited, back together, and we're now on to their, what, fourth album, I think it is? It's called Psychosis. And, and as always, Scotty D is our man with the details of this album. So fill us in, Scotty. What do you got? Here we go. The album, correct, you were correct. It is the fourth album. It's Psychosis. Uh, release date was November 17th, 2017. Uh, produced by Arthur Risk. This is not, I mean, we've seen him before, right? When we were talking about Power Trip was where Arthur Risk came into our conversation. Um, so he's done, he produced for Power Trip. He's also produced for Sacred Reich, Soulfly. So he's worked with the Cavalera, or at least uh, Max before. Um, we're on Napalm Records. And it was recorded at Platinum Underground Studios in Phoenix. I wonder if this isn't because doesn't Max lives in Arizona, and I know the last two albums were in Arizona. So I don't know if he's keeping it close to home. Um, lineup: We've got Max Cavalera, Igor Cavalera, Mark Rizzo, and then Arthur Risk playing bass synthesizer. We have officially shifted bass players every album. There's been. No, no repeat. We, we were spinal tapping that bass position. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got a couple of guest appearances, which we'll get to when we when we get to the uh, appropriate tracks. Some very interesting guest appearances on this album. Anything else of note? I've got the CD, of course, the hard copy here. We have um, a, the artist is Peter Salai. Salai? Salai? He's Hungarian. Yeah. I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, uh, by low sell I. Um, <laughs> was that did you just come up with that? Have you been working yeah. on that? Is that, no, is that no, no. percolating for a while? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's not the only um, artist on the on the CD though, or on the hard copy. They also use the etchings of a, a certain Leonardo da Vinci throughout here. Oh, I've heard of him. Uh, mm. And a very nice sort of fold-out cover. They've gone up a notch, really, in the packaging here. They've 
a long way from the plain band logo on the first couple of albums. This is a very detailed image on the front, a great image of a sort of screaming uh, tribes tribesman, I suppose. A very sort of warlike was, figure. As I was looking at these the album covers, I mean, I know I sang high praises for the first two. I really like kind of the simplicity and the, and the design. Um, but I, I will say that of the four albums, I think this is this is a really cool cover. I think it, yeah. this would be my favorite cover if I had to rank them. It, it kind of harkens back to the old um, Sepultura days. Yeah, it's got that sort of roots feel about it. Um, great colors, love it. Uh, so yeah, really nice piece of art on the front. I I think I, maybe I preferred the previous one, the sort of the mural style. Uh, maybe we should talk about the album. Should we get into the track by track? Let's do it. Yeah. Do you want to start us off with track one? All right. Why don't I have the honors today? The first song on this album is called Insane. And it's good. It's really good. Um, First thing that jumped out to me here immediately, like, whoa, was the leap in production on this album. This is... Straight away, you realise this is a jump. This is the best they've sounded in certainly in the studio of the four albums so far. And I think Arthur Risk, you know, he has to take the credit for that. And we heard what he did with Power Trip. He was like the Mr. Wolf, uh, you know, that came in and just fixed up that really muddy, crappy sound they had on their first album and just turned that into a a beautiful second album. And he's really cleaned this up. Beautifully, that drum sound that was so frustrating for me on the last album is beautiful here. The, the, you know, you can really hear that bass drum. It really kicks hard and and um, nice crisp guitars, clean vocals. Um, it was taken out. I think he sort of stripped it back a little bit. There were so many layers on that last album, and I, and I think he's kind of simplified it here, cleaned it up, and just got a beautiful punchy sound. So that was the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, very thrashy, uh, you know, start to the song, that tribal double kick. So we've got the, you know, the classic elements here. There's uh, perhaps a little bit more mid-tempo than the previous album, which was kind of foot to the floor pretty much the whole way. This has a mid-tempo middle section. And, you know, I was waiting for that first Rizzo solo to kick in. And when it did, yeah, his, uh, his solos are always a highlight for me pretty wah-wah heavy here. I thought it was, a, it was a little more Hammett than usual. I don't know if he's changed his style just a little bit on this album, but um, really sort of stripped back song, less is more, fairly simple song structure and some studio effects at the end, and, and that's a common theme we'll, we'll get into throughout this album. Lots of studio effects, lots of technical wizardry from uh, from Mr. Risk, and uh, it's a nice finish to, to the song with the insane laughing at the end which matches the the content your thoughts yeah first off i agree the the production jumps out at you right away which is interesting because max cavalera produced the the last album pandemonium so that means he he sort of stepped back and brought Mm. risk in and i don't know if that was a decision for who knows why he made that decision to sort of relinquish the reins but but it was a good one because i mean the production value absolutely you noticed it from the start it's a great opening track. Uh, it thrashes from the start. I'm reading this book right now um, called A History of Heavy Metal by Andrew O'Neill. 
it's uh, it's it's funny actually. Um, but I'm actually and informative. And there's a whole chapter, uh, chapter six, called Thrash Metal Ascends. And, and it's all about how thrash sort of began and how that was like the first um, American version of, of metal, right? And, and it was, but it talks about how it's like the new wave of British heavy metal combined with punk. And it was sort of mixing those two elements. And that was the creation of thrash. Anyway, I bring that up because I definitely that it was it it was when i was reading that i was like oh right of course it's that that layer of punk that sort of is kind of brought it, it's, it's sort of here in this song and even some of these songs now with the shorter tracks and i don't know so i'm hearing that as kind of like the backbeat to some of this as well anyway i like the tempo shift at the bridge i think they're doing a lot more with song song structure um there's a moment before the solo when he shouts embryonic death and it, it like it it harkens it calls back to sepultura right it just totally it, it it brought me back to dead embryonic cells and i don't know if it was just because i i don't know how many bands use that word like that single word in in multiple albums but it did it pulled me back to uh arise which is a nice place to be mm-hmm. um and then that leads us into terror tactics which is track two and that begins with, uh, he starts us off with a little, whoa, and then he gets into it. I, I didn't know, by the way, I'm just learning right now that I might have a Max Cavalera I- I impression in me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep forming this and working on this through the episode. Uh, but before we get, so there's, this album is starting to feel a little bit thrashier than the others. We, we do get the, a lot of the kind of arpeggiated guitar solos in there. Um, but it's also groovier. He, and that's the thing about like that I missed from from Soulfly and Sepultura, and I know that he was actively not right. He said that he just for the last two albums he just wanted it just hard, fast, straight through, and 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 I feel like this album brings back the groove. The halfway point of the song kind of gives that groove before the the backtracking breakdown, and then there's sort of the the riff with the roots esque drumming. It's like this, this track two is like four songs in one. And uh, I even it's worth noting that Arthur Risk pulls that bass out a little bit too, gives himself a little so we can we can hear his thought, what he's doing. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, it's almost like a, at one point it's like a completely new song. And I really love that bit where it switches into a, a much more industrial sounding song that actually reminded me of uh, early Isis. There's a, there's a riff about the three-minute mark. It finished on this sort of slower section, and, and then we again we get some more studio effects, some sirens and stuff to lead us out of this song and lead us into the next one, which is called Impalement Execution. So some really classic metal titles on, on these songs. A lovely mid-tempo riff. I love my mid-tempo riffs. And there's much more of them on this album than there has been previously. We've got Igor sitting up on that hi-hat and um, a really clean double kick in the chorus. There's such a swagger to this song. And, yeah, you're right, the groove, that swagger that was kind of rare on the last few albums is really evident here. We are getting some more Sepultura nostalgia here. There was some Beneath the Remains era vibes in the thrashy bit here. Um the bass comes through again in this song. And, um, yeah, this finishes with this lovely execution. 
and uh, some backward <laughs> drums effects. So some more studio stuff, some backwards drums here, which leads into the next song. So um, three great songs to start this album, I thought. And, and well, you can finish off. If there's anything you've got to add there, uh, please do on, on Impalement Execution. Yeah, no, I... I don't have much more to add, but here again, another song with like three songs in one. Um, the the chorus, you know, with the chor- between the chorus and the verse, and then the second chorus gets thrashy. And then, yeah, this one also sort of that chanty breakdown kind of bleeds into, into track four, uh, which is Spectral War. Again, we've got more backmasking. So they are playing with studio wizardry here. Uh, backmasking on the drums and the opening riff. Then again, on the vocals and the chorus. Um, I really like there's that clean Tom that comes through that sort of breaks through in the transitions from, from the chorus to the verse. Uh, and then there's th- just a lot going on with the drums here. There's the reverb, the back masking, the clean toms. There's the guitar solo, which has a really cool reverb effect. And, uh, and this song just sort of, it, it has a, Another this is, here's another track where it just it feels different from the last three albums. It's it, they're playing with space. It's just not he's not jamming everything in to just this wall of sound from start to finish. They are kind of playing with space here, and I don't know if that was just Cavalera sort of you know just trying something new, or if that's an influence from the producer, um, which mm. is kind of this this different sound. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's the doomy section in this one, which uh, which I love. And it's so metal, like the lyrics of this song, you know, you got the marching armies, the the skeletons and, and the undead warriors. And it's, it's just so damn metal. Um, and a really interesting finish here with that synth, the warm, 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 this sort of uh, funereal synth tones and some howling winds, of course, to take us out. So great song. Uh, have you seen the film clip to this song? Did you watch? Yes, the actually, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Yes. The I didn't like it. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. really bad. And um, yeah, that would be my one criticism of this song was this sort of high school level film clip they put together for it, which just did not do it justice. It's like some guy wearing a robe with this <laughs> really bad video effect. I don't know. He's doing something with a goblet or something. It's pretty poor, and, and um, you've got to be careful with that stuff. I mean, it, you know, you can take a, an amazing song and you, and you put a crappy film clip to it, it sort of ruins the magic a little bit. But uh, if you can ignore, or if my, my advice would be don't watch it, um, listeners. But uh, the, the song itself is, is brilliant, I thought. Uh, so, four really like quite traditional metal songs to this point. There's nothing, there's no curveballs at, at this stage other than just amazing songs. And the next one is is not a curve. We're not quite at the curveball section yet here with the next one. Chrome is, I'm looking at the Conan Wiki, is the chief god of the Cimmerians or the Cimmerian people, a grim and gloomy god. So, yeah, it's the god of of Conan. Uh, anyway, it's barbarian stuff. It's good. Good song though. Um, nice slow build, some distant drums. So lots of sort of, uh, you know, you feel like you're looking over a battlefield with some of these songs and 
Yeah, so there's – and this bit has – I mean, it's got a nice slow chug here, so uh, um, much more of these slow chuggy sections, which I love. Uh, Igor drives this song. This is a great Igor, Igor song. And there's a – the thrashy bit here almost gets to, like, death metal levels, I thought, of, of um, intensity. There's some dizzying tempo changes. Maybe this one was a, a little bit dis – jointed uh, but yeah I, I certainly got the sort of fantasy epic uh, epic fantasy vibes here and, and there's a there's a spoken section towards the end that sort of reinforces that you said that igor drives this song and it's funny because i have that written those words written exactly for two tracks that are coming up but i don't have it written on this one but i agree with you completely i don't know why i didn't write mm. it on this one as well um mm. yeah it starts with that sort of ambient background noise the rototom again that shot that comes in and uh, takes us into the music the, the the magic of igor there uh there's the guitar riff that sort of gets thrashy matching the pummeling drums uh max is giving it everything on his vocals on this one and then sort of everything falls away and i could just if i was in the studio you just hear i'm assuming it's max cavalier it sounds like it's a rhythm guitar just just furiously strumming away on the guitar and then and then that that sort of juxtaposition between the that shredding guitar that kind of comes in but you can cleanly hear almost note for note mark rizzo's guitar coming in over just the like just you see it Max Cavalera, just like a blur, a windmill as he's just fiercely strumming away. So, yeah, this is just a, a cool song in the way that it plays with dynamics as well. Uh, and it mm. leads us into Hellfire, which track six. And this is our yeah. first special guest. Uh, yeah. Justin Broderick of Godflesh is joining us yeah. on vocals. Yeah. Um, now, well, before we start talking about the song, what, tell me about your experiences with Mr. Broderick in the past, because I've got... Uh, he's a he's got a big place in my. <laughs> oh, does he? Well, I don't yeah, have. Yeah. I mean, I know Godflesh, but I don't. I I'm not. This isn't. It's not a uh, go. I think you should start. I. Well, my I don't teenage have a story. I guess my teenage lullaby music was Street Cleaner by Godflesh, um, and it sort of. It, I remember the band got popular because Mike Patton from Faith No More used to wear. Their T-shirts, yeah. So that that sort of brought them to fame. I think one of my friends at school who loved Faith No More bought this Street Cleaner cassette tape, and uh, he was like, "Oh, oh, that's rubbish. What am I doing? Tell you, you might like this, Harris." So he gave it to me, and I had a little ghetto blaster thing that I used to put up the top of my bare head, and that was my every night I'd, I'd put Godflesh on. And I'd, I'd just lie there and think, right, I'm going to listen to every note Broderick plays. And then within about three minutes, I'd be asleep because it was just, there's something hypnotic about it. Um, and that sort of pummeling, repetitive uh, rhythm section, that sort of electric drums with this incredibly heavy bass. And then there's really intricate, beautiful, industrial... Um, guitar noises over the top from Broderick. And, and yeah, it used to just, <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, a special album for me. So really nice to hear that he's still putting out music, or he certainly was five years ago. And um, 
interesting collaboration, I thought. And, and a lot of those elements, you know, from, from, that, from those early days, from the Godflesh days are back here, including that industrial feel, the, the sort of repetitive rhythmic, rhythmic nature of the drums and the bass. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know if this is an electric drum. I assume this is just Igor playing like a robot. Um, and, and we've got some Broderick vocals in this as well, but there's a really, there's a hugely distorted guitar riff in this and some interesting color in the background, which I assume again is, is Broderick. So to me, this kind of felt like a Godflesh song and it's great. And I'm assuming, now I don't, I don't know for sure we always speculate, but, uh, I'm assuming this is the first song on side two and this album has a vastly different side two to side one. And um, this was very experimental, very cool, a great collaboration, and, and uh, you know all that nostalgia came flooding back to me too. So, what did you think of it as a maybe as a less of a Godflesh fan? Um, it it was it's interesting that you said it sounded like a Godflesh song because it 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 did, and in the in the sense that it sort of did a really good job of capturing what what I assume Hellfire might sound like. Right. And the one thing that I remember about Godflesh is that they were just like ridiculously heavy. <clears throat> mm. And and this this captures that uh, there's like that that grinding and buzzing that just keeps happening throughout the song amid the distortion. Um, it continues like while Max Cavalier, Max's how the vocals are like howling and even even his singing sounds like it's got this cavernous reverb. So it's like this hollowness to it while this grinding and buzzing is happening in the background. And then you sort of continue to feel yourself being pummeled. Is it's very sort of visceral this song? Like yes. you could feel it. You could just feel it. Um, and it, and it feels like it's just very kind of providing this oral imagery of, of sort of going to war, right? Like mm. the kind of orders are being yelled against the dissonance and confusion. It, uh, I don't know, you know, like that, that opening bit of saving private Ryan, I feel like this song would sort of match kind of that experience perfectly. Mm. Um, yeah, I was just, so when you were looking up, when you were talking about your experience, with Justin Broderick, um, I was looking it up and I didn't realize this, but apparently Mike Patton had asked him to join faith no more back in 93 after Jim Martin had left. Can you imagine what that album would have sounded like if you had gotten oh. Mike? How have Mike Patton and Justin Broderick never done anything together? Have yeah. they? Not that I know of. But yeah, that'd be... Huh. I mean, they're two very avant-garde artists. Yeah. Huh. And then Typo Negative, they wanted... Typo Negative wanted him to join them as well. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, all right. So you stepped on my spot. Do you want? To, do you want to start? No, you take Judas spot, right? No, you <laughs> take it. Um, here's our uh, here's our next um, special guest, and this is Christian Cavalera, and he's playing the hurdy gurdy, as <laughs> as you as you will. Um, this is track seven, Judas Pariah. Uh, the opening guitar riff sounds like just sort of a... So again, we've got the sounds, right? Just sort of like this swarm of manic bees. Um, and this is one where I had mentioned that the drums are completely driving the song. I feel like the rhythm and the volume of that first part especially are just completely determined by whatever Igor is doing on the double bass or rototoms. 
Uh, and then there's that kind of cool sludgy breakdown in the middle that again, we get the bask, the back masking of the drums and, uh, and then the hurdy gurdy comes through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They have to have a, you suck song, at least one on every album. This is their, basically, if you could summarize the lyrics, it's like, you suck. <laughs> uh, someone someone's really pissed Max off at some point, and he he writes a lot about whoever that person is. I assume it's, I hope it's just one person. I don't know. Um, yeah, cool song. Like they've just turned everything up to eleven on this song. This is like breakneck, but it still has a cool breakdown. And uh, the little synth that accompanies the breakdown. The Yeah, cool. Judas, vermin, pariah, scum. <laughs> He's not happy with someone. A um, little bubbling sound to finish off the track here. I don't know what that could be. It leads us into track eight, the title track. And, you know, we're always on filler watch here, but we're certainly not getting that with this one. This is an instrumental. So here's your tribal sound coming through. Here's your... Here's your sounds of the jungle, that big horn thing, whatever that, whatever that is, the slow build up, the, the tribal drumming. It's a, a really good instrumental. This one, quite uplifting, I thought. Like, um, had some it's quite almost soaring sex. Remind me a little bit of remember that ghost song, uh, the instrumental with the saxophone. Off, uh, <laughs> I do. Remember yes. that? Um, I do. Miasma? I do. It reminded uh, me a little shit. bit of that in, in the sort of spacey cosmic vibes. And um, I mean, I guess the fact that they're both instrumentals, but it, it had a little bit of that about it. Very different for this band. And uh, again, part of this experimental side <clears throat> too, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. So um, yeah, like this one. This, this was good. It, so you attributed the bong hit to the end of Judas Pariah. I thought that it was the beginning of this song, almost like they 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 brought out the bong, they hit it, and said, "I know, let's write a cure song." Oh, <laughs> there there is something about this song, and I mean this as a compliment, by the way. Um, kind of reminds me of the Cure. There's like this that sort of it's it's almost like. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It would almost be like Sepultura as as reinterpreted by The Cure. Um, it has sort of like that that atmospheric feeling to it. It's definitely the most melodic of the songs on the album. Um, but yeah, it's it's this is a really cool song. Like this this is definitely a song that I could see myself just going back to. I, I really liked it. It was so different, and but I did really like it. Um, which I, and I guess I didn't. I've never. I haven't yet mentioned my favorite tracks. This is one of them. Uh, it was mm. basically for me. I think Spectral War uh, or this one were the two that I really liked. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, anyway, that brings us into track nine, excruciating. This is the last track on the album. I believe it's the longest track on the album, and it's also our third special guest spot. Um. Jose Mangin, he's a DJ on Sirius Radio. I I only, whenever we go back to the U.S. for the summer and I get a rental car, uh, they always come preloaded with uh, Sirius Radio now, which is kind of cool. And so um, 
I'll, I'll often listen to, there's like three metal stations on Sirius radio. And I assume he must be a host on one of them. Um, I, I, I don't know that much about it. I didn't get him. that. Could you try again? <laughs> Sorry, my Siri thought I was talking to him. That was Siri. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so anyway, this ends on kind of a, that uh, the looming threat of sort of that two-headed Brazilian Godzilla and then fades to like this beach serenade. It's like this weird kind of intro. Um, It sounds like the ocean, people chatting, someone strumming a guitar. There's kind of just the way this ends is a huge contrast from the rest of the song. Uh, But it's got kind of, you know, that thrashy, that thrashy beginning that again, the drums completely drive the tempo. Um, It, it feels as if kind of the guitars stay the same, right? The guitars are kind of sort of doing their thing and the drums are the ones that are sort of driving, whether we're going fast or slow, loud or soft. Um, Kind of this just, there's at least a handful, three or four songs on this album that just seem like they're completely in the hands of Igor Cavalera. And this is one of them where they just kind of gave him the keys and told him to drive. Mm Yeah, I mean, it's sort of definitely too sexy. Like, there's, there's this sort of studio effects in the, the spoken voice section. The, the, the song itself I thought was great. Was, um, again, some old-school death metal vibes in the intro to this and then another great swinging riff when it arrives later on. And the lyrics here, you know, barbaric hordes marching through the frozen tundra. I mean, uh, again... It doesn't get much more metal than some of Max's lyrics at times. So like that part of it, the the second half of this song, I thought got a little bit strange. And I don't think the guest appearance from this Mangan guy added much. I, I mean, I don't know who he is. I assume like he might, he's obviously some well-known personality in the US. I, I've never heard of him. But it got a little strange i thought that I, I thought the words at the end were quite odd and self-indulgent like the, the you know the pale gray sky it, it was like a, a wrestling show like someone announcing sepultura coming on stage at a wrestling show or something and it was it was all very i don't know for, for what i up until this point had been a really strong work of art i thought this was an odd way to finish and yeah, to me, it just sort of the veil kind of slipped a bit here. I, I, you know, I think they just overstepped the mark in terms of, you know, where studio wizardry becomes self-indulgent, and particularly particularly when you're sort of being self-referential in that way, you got to be very careful in that. So that and the Spectral War film clip were the two times where I went, "Ooh, I'm not quite sure about that." Um, so, but I, I. Yeah. Pu- I wanted to apologize to you and the listeners for doing my research right now about Jose Mangan. <laughs> That's okay. Our listeners are used to Hold on. No, this is fascinating. Did Tell you me. know Headbanger's Ball is still on? Well, it doesn't mean much to me. I, mean, I didn't grow up in the U.S., so is that an wait, MTV thing? Yeah, you grew up with MTV, right? We all grew up with MTV. Right? No, if you grew not up on really. Earth, you grew up with MTV. No? 
No, not in the not in Australia. No, we didn't really have it. I mean, our, our metal was through the radio and CDs, and, and you know, you'd read a magazine, you'd right. buy a CD. We didn't really have that. Okay, so I grew up in Iowa, where the closest thing I had to metal was mandatory Metallica that was on Mondays. Right? It it was just by alliteration. I heard a lot of Metallica on Mondays, um, but. Headbangers Ball is the reason why we're talking, right? The, my whole foray into metal all goes back to Headbangers Ball, and 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 would I would watch it religiously back in back in the day. I remember before Ricky Rackman even took over. Anyway, um, and you would stay up later because the back half, the second half of Headbangers Ball was like where the real metal came in, and. Uh, and anyway, I bring all this up because Jose Mangan has been the host of Headbangers Ball since 2011. Right. Like I had no, I had no idea it was still on. It's 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 now a web only show. It's not on any sort of terrestrial. But it's uh, huh. It's fascinating to me. I guess I'm the only <laughs> one fascinated by that. I thought I thought this was going to be another moment of you where you're like, wait, what? But apparently, no. Not. no. <laughs> No, for us, we used to have to. We didn't get anything so neatly packaged like that. So we, yeah, we had to hunt. Every now and then, on a, a, there was a video show called Rage, which catered for all genres. But about four a.m. was the sweet spot for you might get five or six metal songs if you wanted to see some film clips. Right. But usually that involved putting the video in the four, getting your special extra long four hour VCR tape. And, and making sure you stayed up late enough so that you sort of cover that, right? The, the sweet spot, and then fast forward all the way to that bit at the end. Oh, well, let's uh, we'll, we'll go through the track by track pretty nicely there. A few, couple of little, uh, couple of little tangents, but that's all right. Um, just wondering. So, your favorite track? Did you decide between the? I said it was track? Well, I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 torn between Psychosis and Spectral War, so I'll I'll leave it. I'll let those two duke it out. All right, you can flip a coin. For me, it's one of those first four just metal classics, one after the other, kick the album off. I love the the Broderick collaboration as well. But for me, it's probably like impalement execution. Like just because after Terror Tactics, you're thinking there's going to be a weak song soon, and then you get that one, and it's not. So I mean. Spectral War is great too, but the film clip kind of killed it for me. So I'll go with Impalement Execution as my favourite, but there's so many good songs on this album. Um, yeah. I thought this was a great album. I, I, one thing that surprised me, I'm, I've got to say, just hearing this and, and the, the joy and thrill of hearing these two brothers sort of back somewhere near their peak and, and with Rizzo and the beautiful production, like – all the elements of it, just a great metal album. And then you look through the lists, the top metal albums of 2017 from all the big publications, and this is hardly anywhere to be seen. And I, It seemed to get missed, and I, I'm not sure why. I guess we missed it too, but, but that's kind of what this podcast is all about. Um, but I don't I know. This seems I like a know, gem to me. I don't know that... Cavalera conspiracy gets its proper due. Like I, I feel like it's almost treated as if it's just. I mean, I guess it is a side project. Um, 
Yeah, I guess it is a side project, but it's it's definitely treated as such. Hmm. I think it's more than a side project. I, I think they were really trying to do something good, great here, and I, I think they nailed it. And, and each album, to me, is built and built, and this, to me, was just superb. So... I don't know. This is certainly the best received from the old Sepultura fans, and it probably had the most meat in it for, for the old school fans. My worry is that that's what led them to say, you know what, let's just go on tour, a rise and, and, uh, and those albums after this, because like, it, it seems like this album never really got toured. Of, you know, trying to find live footage of this, there's just very little. And right. um, it's almost like they, they gave up on it at this point and said, let's just do the old Sepultura stuff instead. And then, of course, we've had COVID, since then we've had COVID, which kind of killed all bands' tourings. And, and now Rizzo's left the band, so it seems like we're not going to hear anything more from Cavalera Conspiracy, would be my prediction, which is a real shame because I just thought they knocked it out of the park with this album. Well, and that's what you mentioned, Rizzo leaving the band. Um I, I, I did hear that Soulfly is touring again. You mentioned that they were going to be in Australia. And mm. who's playing guitar? It, did, I'm know. assuming Rizzo, if, if Rizzo left Cavalier Conspiracy, he left Soulfly as well. I assume. Maybe not, though. No, didn't we, I mean, didn't we nut that out last time? Yeah, he's, he's, he's we, left. He did. Yeah. Both. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, so the, so having this discussion now, I guess, of the, the placement in the band and, and, and sort of bigger, better things... Where where are we at on the on the Brownlow? Oh yeah, that's an important one. I have, hmm. I have, I like. I think that there is for me. Sometimes I, I get torn between. All right, I, I know I got I got these three guys. Now, what order am I going to put them in? Ah, right. I think he nudges him out. There's a definite. There's a clear winner for me on this one. Eagle, but right? just a, see. As I was saying, there's a clear winner for this one. I was thinking Igor, but then all of a sudden I was thinking, wait a minute. I don't even have risk in my... But, like, I'm not giving it to the bass player, but risk is the bass player and producer. Could I give it to him as yeah. producer? Nah, you know what? No. All right, here we go. My number three is... I'm not going to complicate this. My number three is 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 Rizzo. Uh, he does do the cool kind of... There's a lot of the cool arpeggiated solos here. So one vote. Um, and he one vote. He gets my one vote, sorry. And 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 he the layers. I, I I can't not give Max my two votes just because this is his I don't know, he just he sort of put this whole thing together. Uh and then and then Igor gets my, my three. I feel like Yeah, right. Yep. No, I'm the same. I'm the exact same for the, the exact same reasons. It's it, Igor is just so good to hear him mixed beautifully on this and, and such a great incredible drumming performance i mean from one of my all-time if not my actual all-time favorite metal drummer so for that reason he gets the three votes max i think those riffs are max's and and there's just some killer riffs on this album and rizzo's again outstanding risk i'm lucky because as you said He's got the dual role here. I think it's his production that ultimately tips this over the edge as the, certainly the best sounding of the four albums and probably the best just 
the most listenable as a result. So um, a real solid performance from every band member here. And, and uh, I think, but I think, you know, even though we didn't get a vote, it was probably the addition of risk in the studio that, that um, elevated this above the others so far. So would the listeners, do they want to hear the final tally of the four? I'm sure they do. Are they bated breath? That's why right. they've waited this long. That's what they're here for. E- Igor, Igor takes the top spot. He's got 19 votes total, or 19 points total. Rizzo takes the number two spot with 16. Wow. Yeah. Seems close. Uh, it was. Matt, and then and then Max is, is a little further back at 12. Mm. Yeah, and then the, I, the I, revolving door. Uh, I read that from the top down because I think it was no surprise that Igor was getting the top spot. I was a little surprised, though, when I tallied these votes to see that I, I just assumed it was going to go Igor, Max, and Rizzo, but it didn't. It, did, it just yeah. didn't at all. Mm. That. What Keeping a shame that I've had that for you. What a shame that uh, I hate to see great teams like that fall apart. Anyway, that's that's music, that's art, that's metal, right? And, uh, anyway. Right. Let's just be glad we've got those four albums, and, and what a great journey it's been working our way through them. It's taken us a little while, but uh, as it always does, but well worth it. And uh, thanks for sticking with us, listener. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Some real gems in there, I thought, and um, I'll come back to probably all, the, all of these albums that, and, and remember them fondly, particularly this one that we've just covered. What a gem! Uh, what's next? What are we going to do now? So it is Abrams. Their fourth Abrams. album. Abrams. Fourth album, In the Dark. Uh, I don't have any of my notes. I have not put anything together yet, so I can't tell you when it was released, but it did come out this year. Um, On the I'm great sure. Small Stone record label. Uh, yep. Out of Denver, right? Denver, Colorado. Yep. Yeah, it has Rocky been a while. No. I it's been a while since we've talked about Abrams, right? Yeah. It, it was like two two yeah. summers ago, I think. Uh, last, yeah, well, uh, Abrams to me brings back uh, Belgium vibes. Early Bel- we were in. I was in a hotel in Belgium. We hadn't found a place to live. Mm. We were staying in this crappy mosquito-filled hotel. Um, yeah, and I was, at, I was at my house. I was at my house in Vermont, but it wasn't yeah. this summer. I think it was the one before. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Uh, okay. Yeah, the one before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it'd be nice be to fun. bring some Abrams back. And their last album was great. So. Yes. And. Uh, they, they, such an evolution in that band. So it'd be interesting to see where they go next. So stick with us, listeners. We've got a nice. That'll be a nice little sort of Christmas special for us uh, over the next few weeks. We've got some other couple other things I want to talk to you about. We might as well do it now while the mics are up and the headphones are on. Tell me about Gojira. You went and saw Gojira. Oh, yes. So, okay. So I, I have to set the scene for this because the thing that I'm learning here in Japan is that, A, it's really hard to get tickets to anything, and it's also really hard to find out what's happening. And so there's this one website. I thought I had it sorted out. There was this one website I've been checking religiously, and, and I thought that was where the go-to. This buddy of mine, 
he all of a sudden comes up to me and he's like, hey, did you hear Gojira's coming? And I'm like, oh, no, I hadn't. That's amazing. When? And he said, Thursday. This was on Monday. And I'm like, wait, this week? In three days, Gojira's coming. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, oh, there's no way there's tickets still available. So he shows me the site that's selling the tickets. And I go online. And there are four tickets left. <laughs> And so I immediately try to scramble. And the thing is, is that every time you try to put in your name, they want it in Hiragana or whatever. And my name doesn't, I don't know my name in here. I just, I don't know it. I know my name in English. And so, uh, um, and anyway, I get it through. I get the tickets, uh, or I order the tickets. The tickets come the morning. They, they'll mail them to me. And they come literally hours before I have to leave to go to the show. And so there, I was a little on pins and needles there. But it did. They got there. Anyway, shows in Osaka. I show up. And it's um, this small little venue. And, and they only allowed, it couldn't have been more than 300 people. Like, there's just no wow. way it was more than 300 people. And, like, I was right there i mean every we were all right there there were only 300 of us we were all just like right there and it was it was just it was amazing just from they came out and and just start to finish it was just so good and i was right in front of the the duplantier boys there um every now and then the the rest of the band would kind of just step off to the side stage and let mario do his thing and it wasn't like a drum solo. It was just like, a, I don't know, they'd step over to the side, get a drink of water, and Mario would just, just lay it down, do some audience interaction. <laughs> but the one thing that was that was fascinating for me was that, um, and I, I think I texted this to you, Mario is almost like a, he's like a wizard in that he, he would just be playing, right? And he's doing his thing, and he's going full on. And then while he's playing, he, he would see somebody in the audience, and then he'd like, point at them right and he's still playing though he's not missing a beat he's still playing and he points at these people and then just whips a drumstick at him <laughs> and and it never missed he never missed and there's i mean he would find just random people all of a sudden here's this guy in the sixth row boom whips drumstick at him the guy's just like yeah he's got the drumstick and then here's somebody over here in the, the second row boom whips the and it, it was amazing so on top of being an amazing drummer, he's got a wicked drumstick throwing arm. Yeah. I'm trying to think, because I went and saw them too, remember? I went and saw them in Tilburg in the Netherlands uh, back in June or July. Um, bigger crowd, though. It was a bit less personal. I, you know, I found it um, just on the threshold of being too big. Like, I, I've kind of... Okay. I was, a, I was a fair way back from the stage and just kind of stroking my beard a bit and not really feeling like I was a, a, a part of it. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're incredibly tight. Like, I, I, Oh, my know. God. There was – I I went by myself. There was, I couldn't get anybody to go with me. Um, turns out my daughter is, is into – Gojira a little bit. I mean, she's four. You do with that what you will. And I was like, maybe she'll come with me, but I didn't have the little headphones <laughs> to protect her, protect her little ears. But I could, you could totally, you could absolutely 100% take a four-year-old to a metal show in Japan. Like, it's just everybody is just super respectful of everybody's space. There is no yeah. moshing. Um, yeah. And so, uh, 
But anyway, the so I went by myself and just kind of you you meet when you go to you know if you're there you meet people and and I remember I, I met this this guy, the guy that was standing next to me and after the show we sort of exchanged knowing nods but just kind of operating under the assumption that we didn't have a a language common language anyway after the show he comes over and he just like grabs me by the shoulders and in perfect English says. I knew this band was amazing, but I did not realize just how tight they were. And then he slaps me on the shoulder and walks away. It was like this sage wisdom from this strange Japanese man who had been giving me knowing nods throughout the show and then just spoke perfect English. Um, and then, and then while I was standing in line, there were two of the road crew because they had the laminates. They were outside having a smoke and they were talking to somebody that was near me in line. And they were talking about how they had just left. They had been in Bali for like a day or two. And right. it just, it gave me a bit of the feels because that we were in Indonesia. We were in Jakarta when we first had this realization that we didn't know Gojira. Like our Gojira yeah. experience started in Indonesia and they had just yeah. come from there. I didn't yeah. share that with these gentlemen. I didn't think they would care. I don't even know that our <laughs> listeners care, but I was, I found it. I was like, hey, look at that, full circle. Come to find yeah. out. Anyway, the guy that was telling that story, so when we go in, he's Mario's drum tech. Uh, like, he's the man that actually is the other person on the drums. And had I known yeah. that, I would have, I don't know, rubbed up against him or something, try to get some of that, <laughs> some of, some of that Mario magic on me. <laughs> he's got quite a job he's got a lot of drums to hit that guy imagine setting all those things up every night well here's the other thing that I've never seen at a concert before that I thought was really cool they gave a shout out and called out all of their road crew and techs and dedicated yeah. a song to them and like did this whole yeah, thing nice. where they just this whole thing talking about how all of this was because of them and this, that, and the other thing, shouted them all out and then dedicated a song to them. I've never seen anybody do that before. That's yeah, cool. that's nice. They're nice guys. One of the criticisms I had of Gojira, and this will lead us into perhaps a quick chat about another band, was when you look at setlist.com, I, I realized, because I, I, I like to create, when I'm going, you know, where I know gigs coming up, I like to create a sort of anticipated set list of what they're going to play. And Gajira um, don't really change their set list much uh, from, from show to show. And it, it did feel a little, because they had this thing up behind, I don't know if they had them at Yogi, but this sort of visual display up behind them with the lyrics that would come up at the exact right time. And they didn't have that at yours? No. no. Um, it just felt a little uh, sort of staged, literally, for me, for, for my liking. Um, almost, you know that feeling when you go and see a, a stand-up comedian and you're laughing along and then, but then you think, hang on, they just did this exact same thing yesterday and the day before and the day before. These are not new jokes I'm hearing. Um, so it felt a, there was a little bit of that with me was, was sort of, um, I, maybe you, maybe you got a more intimate gig than it just to me it felt like a, I, a stage show, you know. I think it was a little bit different for what I saw purely because a come to find out it was their first headlining show ever in Japan, so they were pretty excited about that. Um, but I think it's also the first time they played since September. Like I think this was this was either I think this was the first show of this next round of touring. 
And so right. it had been what two, two and a half months since they had played. So I think they were kind of working through some things. I don't think we had gotten, I don't think we quite got the polished version, right? right. They're, they're building back up to that again. Yeah. Plus, I mean, every show you see in Japan, you've got the added bonus of it's in Japan and, you know, you get the sort of awesome fans to observe and, you know, I imagine the fans would be very knowledgeable and very uh, enthusiastic at the gig. I love the guys. You get the salarymen that have just come from work and they're in their suits, their suits and their ties, <laughs> and they're and they're there fully ready to run. There was an old man who was in his suit and his tie, gray hair, little fella. He he was old. I mean, I'm going to put him 60s, like nearing the end of his working <laughs> days here and as a salaryman. He was having at it. He was just like with the like the front foot and the the back foot spread, you know, a little bit more than shoulder width apart, shoulder width apart, and he was just like letting his just getting in there. He was supporting his back while he was thrashing. I mean, he was this. This was definitely taking him somewhere. Uh, and then he would have slept on the train home and uh, got up the next morning and headed off to work again. Go back to work. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, the other band I was going to quickly mention was Metallica. There's a, you know, we both heard that new song that came out during the week, which I thought was a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I've listened to it a few times now. Lux Eternal. It's, it was great. It was just it's from nowhere. It's a good song. Yeah, but, it's really good. I was watching, like, I don't know how I got onto this, but the, you know the band The Darkness? Justin yeah. Hawkins, the singer from the band The Darkness, he has this thing, and I, I don't know where I stand on it, I watch it a lot, so I guess, I guess I do know where I stand on it. But even while I'm, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the thing is, is, he has where he'll break down a song, and he's got, the man's got an ear. Like he, his his ability to listen to a song and pinpoint exactly what's happening is pretty fascinating. But anyway, what's he broke name? down the song. Justin Hawkins. I think I might have seen. I think I did, he did a ghost one that I saw when we were doing. Is that he? I, I never. It never clicked that that's who it was, but I think thinking back now, I think he did one for um, uh, "Call Me Little Sunshine," and I I remember thinking, yeah, that's that's good. I might steal some of that for the podcast. <laughs> and be uh, <laughs> impossible. I haven't seen that one, but anyway, he he broke down the song, and the one thing he kept commenting on that I don't think I noticed on my own, but now that he's commented on it, it's like, oh yeah, basically James Hetfield's vocals, like he was really mm. focused on sort of what how James Hetfield's vocals how how they've sort of changed but how good they are now like how yeah. he does these little like where he used to in between yeah, right to do that but now there's more like uh apparently I got a James Hetfield impersonation of me too um there's like he does more of these vocal styling runs sort of suggesting that he's been training his vocals like I I don't know the argument seemed to be that the James' vocals are maybe better than they've ever been. Like he's actually, yeah. I don't know. Where he started, the, he started as a singer by just because nobody else wanted to do it, as I understand. But now he's sort of, he's a proper singer. Yeah, no, he went through that whole phase where he listened to good singers and, and really worked on it. And I mean, he's an incredible rhythm guitarist, but yeah, his vocals, that load and reload era was really good for his vocals, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. Okay. but this one had, this was, that drum beat is just motorhead, right? Like, 
um, the digga chicka digga chicka digga chicka that uh, yep. that classic overkill drum drum beats was was so good, and it's like three and a half minutes is over. I, I really like the song, and they're, so they're touring now, but they're going to play a different. They're doing uh, like I love the fact that they're just really putting some thought into those set lists. I don't know. To me, that would. As an audience member, you leave feeling like you've seen something unique and something special when you know that they've just put on a show for you. But I guess, I don't know, each to their own. It's be hard enough just getting out there every night and playing in front of, you know, five or 10,000 people without having to play a different set of songs every night. I suppose once you've, once you've been around as long enough as Metallica and played all those songs as much as they had, maybe it's, maybe it's a bit easier to do. And, you know, and they're less... Their songs generally are a bit easier to play than those Gojira, 10-minute, proggy, thrashy. Are epics. you, you going to be able to see them? I'm trying to see where they're going. They're going to, I mean, they're not, they're going to France, Netherlands, Germany, England. No. The closest nowhere, they get really. to Lisbon is Madrid, which, uh, you know, still a flight. And look, to be honest, I'm, I, I don't know. I prefer to go and see a local band down at, down at a local right. club and and as great as it would be than to, than to see a band in a, in a stadium, even though it's so. I like I assume they'll be coming Japan, Australia. Like Japan always seems to get lumped into the Australian tours. Yeah, maybe there's more more to announce with this. But even so, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be lining up or paying hundreds of dollars for a ticket. I'd be happy to sit at home. I think it it will for me. It will depend on where it is. I mean, it's yeah. going to be at some massive venue. There's no way Metallica is going to play it in a 300 seat. But if they did, yeah, well, that's the same <laughs> dream, right? That, yeah, right. Um, huh? It'll be interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I'd still, I'd still much prefer to see an Atomic Bitch Wax. Oh God, I still, I st- that's what? still the moment of the band I want to see. I, I think you're right. I think that's still my dream band. Yeah, Atomic Bitch Wax <laughs> and Clutch. 20, uh, you and me and about twenty people. Clutch, I've seen seen Clutch a few times. I've never. I've still. They they played Burlington, Vermont, like a week before we got there this last year. Like I missed them by a week, and it was it. Uh, it, it uh, I was so crushed. Yeah. Wow. No, I last time I saw him, I had, a little uh, bit. Last time I saw him, I, had, I finished up with tinnitus, and. Um, mm. and a, pretty nasty hangover that's uh you know led me to i was changed my ways <laughs> changed at the gojira ways. show i was wondering i have the age now that i need to start i need to bring i don't ever wear earplugs to a show mm. i never have mm. but i'm starting yeah, to how think, were they after the I'm show like, they rough like the whole next day yeah. was rough Ring. it was like i was underwater yeah and I had that realization that I might now be that guy that has the the little spongy Things. orange earplugs in his ear. <laughs> it kind of seems to defeat the purpose of. I feel like it. Maybe I'll just buy some and I'll I'll try. I could always take them out, right? You you can get special ones that don't alter the sound, but just deaden it. If I don't, well, but yeah. then I I fear that I might see me and beat myself up. <laughs> for wearing All earplugs. of this is just. More argument for staying home and listening on your headphones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, look. Let's wrap it up. We've uh, we've rambled on long enough here. We've got to uh, we've got to go and chase down this Abrams album and, and try and get one of these podcasts out 
around Christmas time or maybe New Year. So I'll, I'll have a bit of downtime around then. Hopefully you will too. It's been, yeah, I will. It's been a busy uh, few weeks for us and no doubt for you. So hopefully we can sneak one in during the festive season with a bit of eggnog and, uh, you know, all the rest. <laughs> of the trimmings. Yeah, no, absolutely. You with, you with, I your, think, bucket, I think... you with your bucket of chicken. I am. I told you we ordered that, right? We're doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I will definitely, in the next coming weeks, this will be a lot easier yeah. to get another one out a lot sooner yeah. than we did with this last one. Yeah, for sure. Because then we've got to pick a new band. That's that's the real excitement here. What, the, where are we going to get after that? That's the fun one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mm. know. All right. Who knows where it will take us. And uh, I, but, uh, I will say I have started listening to Machine Head, so I can officially take them off of my list. Okay. Good. Remember, we weren't because they they're nine albums in. It was just yeah, we weren't going to be able to do it. Yeah, no, but it's uh, if you haven't, definitely, definitely get into some Machine Head. I, it's it's okay. too bad that they have nine albums because we would have enjoyed it. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, my list to bring to the next episode zero is about a hundred hundred bands. Like every time I think of one or see one, I pop it on this little thing on my phone. Yeah, it's it's growing by the Amazing. day. I'm going to have to whittle it down. Or make it a three-parter episode. Yeah. Well, maybe we could sort of theme it up, do 70s bands or I don't know. Ooh. We could, oh, we could totally do that. Yeah. yeah. Or Doom. We could just go with old we, Doom. I'm down on that. Yeah. All right. We'll discuss right. that after Abrams. We'll put that on our on our running sheet for the next show. Anyway, this has been a pleasure. We've, we've waffled on, but uh, at least we did it at the end, right? <laughs> <laughs> but great album how good were Cavalera Conspiracy and uh, what you know what a journey what a what a great band so glad we've done this I would never have done this without the podcast but, uh, no likewise likewise yeah, yeah hopefully you've had a, brought a few listeners along with us because this has been well worth it uh, alright well let's go track down Abrams I think it might this might be one of those uh, band camp jobs for me but uh I'll see if Small Stone can send something. You might end up with something in your mailbox in Vermont. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh... The snail's eating it. <laughs> <laughs> or the bear's listening to it. <laughs> you can give it to me next time I see you, which will be in uh, 2038. No, no, no. We're going to work something out. We're going to work something out. Yeah. All right. COVID, COVID's All right, over, so next day. Yeah, well, in theory. Yeah, uh, right. All right. Thanks, Scott. And uh, thanks, as always, to all of our listeners. And we've got quite an audience, so it's, it's you know, it's, it always surprises me. And, and uh, yeah, it's just so nice that people listen to our funny little show. Uh, also nice that we get to use the incredibly uh, cool intro and outro music from... Um, Seven Planets off the Small Stone label, which we'll be uh, going back to for the next one. That song, if you're wondering, is called Vanguard. It's off the uh, the great stone, groovy sort of stoner instrumental album called Explorer. So seek that one out. That's on Bandcamp as well. So you can track that one down and have a listen to some fuzzed up stoner grooves with Seven Planets. And um, you can follow us uh, on Twitter. I don't think Elon's kicked us off yet. Uh, at Unshuffled Pod. 
And we've got a website as well, believe it or not, unshufflepod.com. And there'll be show notes. And we'll put some links up from, from this one as well. And we've also got an email address. If you ever want to contact us, you can do so. Uh, the email address is unshuffledpod at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you, listeners. And uh, on that note, I'm off to track down some Abrams and give it a listen. Been a pleasure, Scotty. Yeah, Matt, thank you very much. This has been great. And uh, thank you to your listeners. And we'll uh, we'll chat soon.